God is good. All the time. Children, you're dismissed to Children's Church at this time. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. As you're turning your Bibles or preparing uh, to begin, I just want to say thank you for being here today. And just say a quick prayer for me, if you would, because I'm, I'm not feeling too well um, at all. Um, we uh, went to my mother-in-law's house yesterday and moved some furniture, and I inhaled a lot of dust. And if y'all don't know that, know that I'm allergic to dirt and to dust. So <clears throat> today is not the greatest day, so I, I feel a little disoriented and tongue-tied and stuff, but it's nothing that God can't overcome. Amen? Amen? So the Spirit of the Lord is what's going to minister to your heart, not my eloquence. So if you came here for uh, my eloquence, uh, you, you got about all there is to do right now. So you can leave and you'd have all that's worth it. But we're hoping that the Holy Spirit will minister to your heart and to your soul. Uh, we're in the series called New Beginnings because I believe that we need to be new beings in God. We need to get back to the basics of understanding that a proclamation that there is a God. There is a God. And He exists. He is real. Even though the world wants to dictate there is no God, even though the world wants to acknowledge or try to force us to believe that He is insignificant, God is significant, and He is still working in the hearts and lives of His people. And He wants us to be new beings, being transformed in Him every day. He wants us to understand that we can lean on Him, depend on Him, he has a covenant with us, and He's given us a tremendous promise to never leave us or never forsake us, and we can count on that. This morning, we're going to talk about a promise, and what does a promise mean? How does a promise affect us? We've talked about the proclamation, there is a God. We've talked about us being created by a Creator and uniquely created and designed, that we have a design about us. We've talked about us being broken about us being sinners. We went out to Genesis and talked about Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. And we all are inherently disobedient. We're all inherently given to the lust of the flesh and our desires of the heart instead of the will of God. That is not our innateness. Our innateness is not of good, but our innateness and what we're born with naturally is in disobedience and rebellion. We talked about how that affects us and how we should always work and strive to bringing discourse, uh, dispelling discourse and bringing unity with the Spirit of God and bringing that peace and joy and love as we live toward God and His life. This morning, if we understand we're broken and we understand that God brings wholeness, we understand also, we have to understand also that God has made us a promise and in His promises, we can stand and live our lives if we're true to our side of the promise as well. You know, when God made a covenant with Abraham, and we experience that covenant now throughout our lives as well, uh, he made this covenant with Abraham, and, and it's, uh, it's two-sided. In other words, he said, Abraham, if you will follow me, I will give you land, I will give you descendants, and I will be your God. In other words, you can make your petitions to me. 
And that became like a covenantal relationship, not different from marriage. Matter of fact, if you look back in Scripture, you'll see the parallels of defining our relationship with God and the covenant of marriage so much. Matter of fact, God says when He comes back, He'll be coming back for His bride, which is the church, and we are the bride of Christ. So when we understand that relationship, we understand the dynamics of the covenant relationship, how it identifies with us and God. It also parallels beautifully with the institution that God created called marriage as well. In the early days with Abraham, when the covenant was made, and even before the covenant with God, there was, there was early marital covenantal rights that were given. And what they would do is they would take animals and they would cut them in half and they would go to a hewn stone. And there they would place each half of the animal that they sacrificed on each side. And it wasn't sacrificed to a god, but it was a sacrifice of the severity or the, the, the in, intent of commitment to that covenant. And so they would place it aside and they would have this little pool. And they would have both parties. They would have the groom's side and they would have the bride's side come. And the father of the bride would look to the father of the groom and he says, if my wife doesn't uphold her promise in her vows, if she's not a good husband to your son, if she's not faithful to your son, if she has anything that would bring dishonor to your family, you can do this to me. And he would stomp through the pool of blood, and blood would be all over him, signifying that that father of the groom would have full rights to come and slaughter him and his whole household. After he would get through, he would come back around. And then the other side, the bride would look to the groom's father, or, or the groom's would look to the bride's father and said, if my son does not love your wife, does not take care of your wife, does not support her, and does not take care of her in all her ways, you can do this to me. And he would go through the pool doing the same thing. And he would come to, and then they would give each other into their hands and they would commit and have a marriage ceremony for that couple. What a beautiful commitment of sacrifice and also a severity of intent. In other words, this covenant was so severe that if it was not upheld, it was going to bring destruction to the opposite family. That's how important that it is. Yet we've seen marriages in our day and time relegated to a dating process. It's a very disposable thing. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And if I see you today and I love you, I'll stay with you. But if somebody else comes along the way, I'll just go my separate way. And there doesn't seem to be any circumstance to follow that because commitments now are led by the lust of the flesh or the desire of the heart instead of covenant or the promise of God. Marriage is an institution that is created by God, representing that great covenant that we have with God himself because he's coming back for the bride of Christ. When we talk about this covenant, we have to say, okay, that was a wonderful marriage ceremony. What does it have to do? Well, if you read this passage that we're reading in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18, it has a beautiful story in Hebrews here that coincides with a great text in Genesis chapter 15 where God makes a covenant with Abraham. And we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 6, it says this, When God made his promise to Abraham, 
Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I surely will bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abram received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. The oath confirms what is said, but, it's put in, but it put, puts an end to the argument. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which, is, which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope which is set before us. And we are greatly encouraged. Say greatly encouraged. Greatly encouraged. Let's pray. Father, Father, as we talk this morning and, and proclaim your word and teach your word, may your spirit impart to each heart here that spirit of purpose and also spirit of transformation. May we understand and may we lean on it and be encouraged by your promise to us, but also be challenged about our responsibility in that covenant as well. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, it's interesting in, in Genesis 15, when you read about God making this covenant with Abraham, the same ceremonial covenant was, ceremony was issued to Abraham. God told Abraham to go give me a heifer and a goat and a sheep. And there they would bring to the hewn stone to the place of the altar. They would cut it in half and, and they laid it out. And Abraham, it says, was vigilant during the day to keep the vultures away and stuff. And God showed up that night. And God made a covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, I love you. And I'm making covenant with you. I will give you land and descendants and I will be with you always. I will be your God. And he said, if I fail in my promises to be your God, to be your encourager, to be your deliverer, and do all these things, then you can do this to me. And God had a pillow of fire came and he lapped up the blood that came through. In other words, he received all that. And then after it was done, there was more blood that, was, that seeped down into the altar and it was Abraham's time. And he says, Abraham... Your covenant is to keep my commands. Your covenant is to obey me in all that you do. And Abraham says, and will you accept this? And Abraham said, yes. And Abraham said, I will. And if I don't, and as soon as Abraham started to walk through the blood, the hand of God reached out and the fire came again. And as if God would said, and if you don't, Abraham, you can do this to me. In other words, God's promise was for him to live up to his side, and knowing we couldn't live up to him, he would keep it as well. In other words, there was no greater source to swear by, so he swore by himself. He took it on as well. And at that very moment, I can just see Jesus in heaven looking down as, as the Father talked to Abraham, and I can just see Jesus look over to the Holy Spirit and say, the Father has just signed my death warrant. Because you see, that's what we did to Jesus when we put him on the cross. And Jesus paid for our sin as he shed his blood to atone for each and every one of us. 
That's a horrible picture, but a beautiful picture all at the same time. God sacrificially gave Himself up because of the promise and the covenant He wants to keep with each and every one of us. My question is today is, how seriously do we take the covenant or the promises of God? How seriously do we do that? Have we relegated our relationship with God like we have the relationship of marriage in the covenant? Understanding that's a pretty good indication because it's a comparison of the covenant we have with God and the relationship and that marriage covenant we have with God and the Father through Jesus. Because if we had, I'm here to report to you, it's in sad condition. There are people all over the place that treat marriage as if it's a dating game. No respect for covenantal vows that absolutely is led by the desires of the fleeting moment of what the lust of the flesh demands. And it's sad. And yet, what can we expect? What can we expect? We don't heed by the covenants of God anymore, and we don't follow and obey the commands of God anymore. God says we're to love the Lord the God, thy God with all our heart. And yet we fall short in that so many times because we're in love with everything. We love our house. We love our car. We love our tr- trucks. We love our motorcycles. We love our family. We love our kids. We love this. We love that. And it's true. We do. And that's not bad. But it's incomplete. And if you stop there, it's just wrong. There should be a greater and a higher calling to love with God than anything else. Our commitment to God should outlast and outshine God's uh, than anything else that we have in the world, the love of God. We should be framers and livers of life, God's life in us as He lives it out. But so often we're framed and designed And we'll let the world define for us and water down or mute the commands of God in our lives. And marriage becomes a covenant that is so wishy-washy that it's crazy. And yet we wonder why our covenant with God is so wishy-washy. When we have days that we acknowledge that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, that's real enthusiastic, isn't it? But then we do the same thing. When we go to work and somebody sees a picture of us, oh yeah, I'm married, I'm married to her, you know. How are we treating our covenant relationship with each other in marriage compared to what we do in God? Now for you married folks, you say, thank God this message ain't about me this week. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not there yet. Okay. Because we have other issues that, that, uh, that also illustrate our problem with God, even when we're single. Singles, they don't understand the commands of God either. Singles get together, for example. Did you know, and I'll just say this because it needs to be understood, sex was created by God. Did you know that? And I'm going to tell you, It's wonderful. It's amazing. And I love it. Don't know, baby. 
That's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. But just like any healthy and good thing, when it's done in a wrong way, can be very perverse and bad. We take the marriage covenant and the sexual union that it's supposed to identify with, and we just blow it to hell. Exactly, literally, okay? We take the righteousness and the holiness of the sex act in the marriage, and we destroy it. Thank you, sir. You're blessed among men. Bless you. You're welcome. We destroy it. How do we destroy it? Well, we have no regard for it. God made it holy. And he said in his word, he says, look, sex outside of marriage is called adultery. Y'all ever heard of adultery? Nobody's heard of adultery? This means yes. This means I no, and this means I don't know. Adultery is a sexual sin, and it's a deal breaker, or not a deal breaker, but it's sex outside of marriage. Anybody know what fornication is? A couple people? Three? Okay, four. This is a good sermon then today. We're all learning something. Fornication is sex before marriage. It's fornication. And both of them are sin. And yet we don't want to talk about that much nowadays. Because it seems like it's a natural thing for everybody to do before they get married or even when they get married outside of the covenant. You know what happens when you have sex before marriage? It doesn't send you to hell. Understand this. It's not a heaven or hell issue. But it's all about the fruitful living that we have and obeying and understanding the covenant of God and His best for us. Did you know that God wants the best for you? He really does. So it's like, okay, I'm going to violate these covenant principles beforehand, but when we get married, I expect you to uphold the covenantal responsibilities after we get married. Do you see the oxymoronic stance that's in that? If I'm going to violate it before, would I not violate it in and during? Yeah, probably. We talked earlier, Lynn Nelson, he grows tomatoes, beautiful tomatoes. And I, matter of fact, I notified him that I needed some more tomatoes. But you know, if Lynn wants to grow tomatoes, he can't plant tobacco. You can't get tomatoes out of tobacco plants. You've got to plant tomato plants. And if you want fidelity and faithfulness and, and stuff in a relationship, maybe you ought to start that way. Amen? I know, it's, I know it's, it's hard. You don't like hearing this, maybe. And some of you are married saying, bless God, I'm glad that's over with. But you still got to pay attention to your marriage, too. Because here's why. Given at the right place and at the right time, every one of us, every one of us, me being included, has the ability to yield to the lust of the flesh and the desires of the heart. We must be very careful. Scripture says that we're not even to place ourselves in the appearance of evil. For example, that's one reason that I don't meet with any lady alone, period. And if I do meet with her, there's a window there, or the door's open, and there's other people around because I want to make sure that I'm safeguarding myself because I'm still flesh. How many is flesh in here? Mm-hmm, I thought so. That's just one aspect of it. We violate our 
covenant with God all the time in so many different ways. For example, how do we uplift our covenant when we don't love our neighbor? Yet that's the second thing that God tells us to do. The second thing. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now some of you have got it made because you don't love yourself at all. Some of you have low self-esteem and you don't, like each, you don't like yourself. The problem is you probably treat others better than you treat yourself in esteem. There is, has to be a balance. You need to love yourself. Scripture says, think of yourself soberly in the right man, thinking no less of yourself and no more of yourself than you ought. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But yet we find ourselves not loving our neighbor at all. Matter of fact, we don't really care most of the time. Sometimes we care. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we think we're being put out because our neighbor asked for something. Sometimes we don't. And then it's that thing about, okay, how do we act and how do we receive in the right way what God has called us to do? How do we do that? I don't know if, if I can expect to receive the faithfulness of God if I don't love my neighbor, if I'm not trying to help and trying to be a part of something. I really don't. But yet we get so wound up in ourselves that we don't have time. How does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. When somebody says, uh, I'm planning a wedding next week and I really would like for you to go and be a part of it. And you go, uh, I really can't that week. I'm tied up. You know, we're supposed to rearrange our house and do a paint job on it. And, and I'm, I'm just tied up with some of the things I've got to do. Okay, really, you're going to evaluate a paint job or painting your room as being a part of somebody's wedding or somebody, you know, that's having a, a tremendous thing that's happening in their life? Yet we do that all the time. It seems like we think nothing of it anymore. We think nothing of it. Somebody calls and, and, and wants to help or needs our help, and, and we're too busy because we've got to go wash the car, or we've got the pest control people coming over, or we've got, in other words, if it causes an interruption in our life, we can't do it, but yet we love our neighbor like we love ourselves, really? Are we doing that? We have people protesting in the street because we've disrespected them for so many years and we're surprised that the pendulum has swung the other way to where it's now an obscenity the opposite way and they're wrong in what they're doing as well, but they were right to start with in the fact that we've treated them awful and we've disrespected them, but we call ourselves loving our neighbor? Really? The promises of God are true, and the promises of God, they don't fail. But they also require us to act accordingly. They're not just to bless us. They're not just to serve us. But they're here for us to grow and to serve as well along the way. Are y'all listening to me at all? It makes a huge difference. When we look at the promise of God, how does that promise interact into our life? How does it become real for us as people and as believers? What does it look like? Well, it looks like maybe that sometimes we sacrificially give. Maybe sometimes we live up to our covenants even when we don't want to. 
Do things that we don't want to. Has anybody, have you ever made a promise or somebody ever made a promise to you and they didn't keep their promise? Anybody? Okay. About a half a dozen of you. The rest of you are all lying or you just don't care. And by the way, that's another problem that we have in the world too. It's called apathy. Are y'all know, do y'all know what apathy means? We're becoming very apathetic in our world. We either care and it's off on the left side or we're apathetic or we're off on the right side on extremes. But we're not really serving God that's just really plowing, trying to do the work and doing the righteousness and doing the good things that's supposed to be done. A promise that's broken is hurtful. A promise that's broken creates discord, strife in your life. And it helps you give in to things that you're naturally inclined to do. And that's talk about everybody else. How many of you are naturally inclined to talk about somebody? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. I talk about you something awful. I'm just kidding. Sometimes. No, I don't talk about you awful. But boy, I have a temptation sometimes. Because you see, we see people and when they don't act according to what they promised they would do, it opens us up for an inclination. Do you remember last week when we're all broken people? We all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have temptation. And when a broken promise does, it helps somebody else give in to their natural inclination instead of overcoming it by the power of God. Folks, these are real things. These are things that are systemic from our root problem that we're not covenantial living as Christians, as people of following in faith. Can we trust God? That's a big question. Can I really trust God? I guess so. He vowed to Abraham that we could do to him what he was supposed to do to us. And he went to the cross and did it for us and paid for our sin. That's a pretty strong indication that we can trust him, don't you think? I really think so. And what does he say that we can trust him in? Well, he gives us five important things, promises that I want to touch on this morning. And they're not exhaustive. There are many, many more. But there are five that I want to talk about just briefly this morning. First is, the first promise is, God is always with me. God is always with me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why can you do all things? Because Christ is with us. He's with us. There was a survey once done, and they were asking some basic training recruits coming in, going through basic training. And the number one thing that the recruits were feeling, guess what it was? Number one, fear. I know I was one. And, and I would have to concur. I was scared. You know what I was scared? Why I was scared? Because I was in a new place. I was in a new city. I was in a new structure. They took everything away from me. They took all my clothes, everything, a piece of belonging I had, cut all my hair off, and stripped me literally naked to take shots and do everything else and avoid me. And I was scared to death. You know why? Because I felt utterly alone. That's the number one cause for fear. 
is when you feel abandoned and you feel alone. But God's first promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to fear. I am with you. He's with us. Isn't that a great promise? It really is. And it's helped me when that actually came to fruition in my life, when I actually started believing that God was with me. All of a sudden, sudden I started seeing fear dissipate. I started seeing that fear go away because I knew the promise of God and I was standing on that promise. Stood on that promise. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. In other words, God's plan supersedes the world's plans. And if I follow him, I have a future with God. And it's a good future. It's a great future. It's a perfect future. A perfect future. He promised it, I believe it, and I'll stand on it. The second promise is God is always in control. And if he's in control, I won't doubt. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm. I don't have to doubt my circumstance or situation if I'm trusting with God. Because it's a promise that even though it may look dark for the night, joy is going to come in the morning. Even though it seems like gloom and despair for right now, it will work out for my good and His glory. I don't have to worry because I can trust in the Lord that He's going to make it okay and it will be all right. Maybe not for the night, maybe for the not next week, maybe not next month, maybe not next year, but it will work out and it will be for my good and for His glory. I stand on that and I trust in that and that's how I live my life. That's how I live my life. But so many people worry and fret and doubt and, and, and discouragement, and they're all caught up in their circumstance and their situation. Listen, you can't control what somebody else is doing, and you can't control what's happening for you, but you can control what you believe and where you stand. As Jeremiah 29 says, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to trust Him and acknowledge Him in all His ways and His promises. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. He's with me, and He's in control, and I don't have to doubt it. I don't have to worry about it. Some of us are so concerned about the circumstance and what it's going to mean for us and what it's going to determine. I talked to a man this morning. He said, you know, things will never be the same. We'll never be able to hug. We'll never be able to touch. We'll never be able to shake hands. It's going to be this way forever. And I looked at him, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Because I believe it'll all come back, but it'll come back better. I believe when we hug in the future, it'll be more intense and more sincere. I believe when we reach out and touch that hand, it'll be more meaningful and more genuine. I believe that when we pat somebody on the back or just touch them just for a minute, I think we'll see a glimpse of glory that we've not seen before because we'll appreciate it because what was once taken from us is going to be given back and it's going to be given back with glory and honor and appreciation. And I believe it's with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. Promise number three. God is always good. God is good? All the time. And all the time. 
I will not despair. I will not despair. Matthew 6, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Despair usually comes because I don't have what I need to have. I don't have what John has. I don't have what Sue has. In other words, there's this phenomena in our world that's called keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Smiths, keeping up with whatever. Have you all experienced that? If John gets a new car, Sally feels like she needs a new car. If, if Jillian has a new dress, Lauren needs a new dress too. We're keeping up with the Jones. Somebody remodels their house in the neighborhood and everybody starts remodeling their house. I don't know what it is. It just seems like that's the way it is. But listen, we don't have to do that. We can be secure and safe with where we're at and what we have. I don't have to despair with my worldly possessions and my worldly status and my worldly uh, position. What I need to do is seek first the kingdom of God. And when I do that, all these other things will be added unto you. Listen, it's not wrong for you to remodel your house. It's not wrong at all. Only if you're seeking the remodeling your house and the status it brings instead of the kingdom of God. But if you're seeking the kingdom of God and the love of the Lord and you're seeking the righteousness of God and His stuff and you remodel your house, it's fine. Because your emphasis is not on the remodel of your house, but it's on your love and your relationship with God and His people. Are y'all following me at all? It's not about stuff. You can have stuff. Matter of fact, you'll probably have more stuff because Scripture says that if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything that you need shall be added unto you. Now, I'm not speaking a prosperity message to you that God is going to bless you beyond measure, even though I believe God does bless beyond measure. But that's not why we serve God, to be blessed. We serve God because He has already blessed us by His love, His mercy, and His grace. The fourth promise is this. God is always watching me. He's always watching, ready to help, ready to correct, ready to transform. (laughs) You know, this might help us too in some of the things we do if we really got that promise down that he's watching us. Maybe it would help us not watch some of the things we should be watching because Jesus is watching with us. Maybe it'll help us quit thinking some of the thoughts that we're thinking because Jesus is watching and hearing as well. We may not be so quick to speak criticisms and cursings and things like that because Jesus is watching. But we really believe that we're in a vacuum and Jesus and God is not watching and that we can do things in a bubble or in secret. Can I share a truth with you this morning? There is nothing on this planet you can do in secret. You know why? Because God is watching. God is watching. And because He's watching, and because He cares, I can be strong and courageous. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be discouraged. Because the Lord will be with me and watching over me wherever I go. The fifth and last promise is this, that God is always victorious 
which means I will never fail. Have you ever felt like you failed before? I have. Matter of fact, at 9.30, I told somebody coming up here, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. (laughs) You know why I said that? Because it was my interpretation of my physical capabilities and presentation. Instead of just trusting God that His Spirit is working on your heart, doing more than I ever thought about that could be done. I have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. And sometimes the greatest failures in my life were the greatest victories when I got past them just a little while. Just a little while. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength because failures will get you discouraged. Do you know that? It'll get you discouraged. It'll take the wind out of your sails. Matter of fact, it'll get get you to where you don't want to try. The devil wants to defeat us at the first glimpse out the gate. He wants to get us defeated. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, we may feel like failures, but God has already won the victory and we're victorious in Him. Scripture says He's made us more than conquerors, overcomers, bought by the blood of the Lamb. That's a great hope. It's a great encouragement. What did the Scripture say? It says that He has said this, that it would be a great encouragement for all who hear. I hope you've been encouraged today to know that the promises of God are true. The promises of God are real. and The promises of God can be lived by. But the challenge is for us to do our part as well. To do our part as well. To love Him, to love others, and to serve with all our hearts all our minds, with all our body, soul, and strength. I stand on these promises because it's how I live my life. I wonder where you're standing today. If you're not standing on these promises, move to those promises. If you're not hoping in those promises, move toward those promises. Read the scripture and find it's just full of the promises of God that he has for those who trust him, who call upon him, and who live out faith every day of their lives. Get to know him. There's an old hymn that I grew up with that I thought was very appropriate. It's called Standing on the Promises of God, which is kind of what I've been talking about. Anybody know that hymn? Oh, three. Okay. It goes like this. We're going to sing it a cappella because I didn't ask Eric in time to prepare it. But it kind of goes like this, if you can put the lyrics up so everybody can see it. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing, 
I'm standing on the promises of God. Now y'all remember it? It seemed like y'all were singing a little better, uh, more than those who were admitted that they knew it. But isn't that a beautiful song? really is. Standing on the promises. What does that second verse, verse say? Is that the second verse? Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Sing it out. Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Standing, standing I'm standing on the promises of God. Next verse. Standing on the promises I now can see. Perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Last verse. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord. Never coming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Stand up now. Standing. Sing it out. Come on. Standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing. Standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. May we stand on your promises, O Lord, each day of our lives. May we hold the holy covenant of faith high and the banner true. May we live knowing your peace and joy as we do everything in our lives that would accomplish that fruit in our lives. May we stand with you as we obey the commands. May we stand with you as you forgive and heal. May we stand with you as we see the temptations come and may we stand with you to decide to stand on your promises and follow you. May we stand on the promises each and every day, acknowledging you being the light into the world that all may see your love, grace, and mercy. We pray this now in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.